Loneliness plagues the world today. I think increasingly, more and more people feel disconnected from others, disconnected from close relationships, and perhaps even disconnect for even believers feeling disconnected from God. Perhaps for you, even tonight, God seems far away, distant, remote. And this, this struggle has likely beset upon every believer at some point in our, our Christian life. And it is easy when things are hard or when we face trials of various kinds to feel as though God were not with us, as though he were not near to us. And still, still, that struggle, which falls upon us all, realistically, at some point, can, can be intensified or helped, depending on our own understanding of who God is and how he works in the world, specifically in relation to his people. Some have a a perception of God as if he intentionally tries to hide himself from those who love him and only cryptically makes himself known. But on the other hand, we we ought to think of God as, as the one who is high above us and yet, and yet has taken every possible step in in the relationship between creator and creature so that we could, in fact, understand him as much as creatures are able and even have a personal relationship with him. Now, we confess in this church, don't we, that man's chief end is to glorify and enjoy God. Right? And enjoying what entails knowing Him, encountering Him, and experiencing Him. So from our perspective, God is the God who gives Himself to be understood. God Himself is at least partly, at least partly a cure for our loneliness. Because no matter what we feel, Right? We can remember that God has made himself known and wants us to understand him as much as limited creatures can understand the unlimited God. Now, what does that have to do with 1 Corinthians 14's discussion of prophecy and speaking in tongues? Right? Actually, everything. Because our conception of God and how he relates to us on this issue drives how we understand spiritual gifts. Right? And the reverse is true, on the other hand, that a right understanding of spiritual gifts pushes us back to this point that God wants his people to know him. 
Now there are several sticking points throughout 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 19 that, that mark this very idea. And I just want to highlight these for you as some of our markers. Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Right? Remember that prophecy is a revelation from God to his people. Notably, here, God addressing his people for their benefit. Verse 5 repeats gifts purpose uh, for building up of the church. And then so too in verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And then rounding off the whole discussion, Paul concluded in verse 19, Nonetheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct, right? Make things known than 10,000 words in a tongue. The emphatic reason for gifts is instruction. Under, not, not just not conveying information. That's not what biblical instruction is. We're talking about understanding. God's people understanding God for the purpose of their encouragement and upbuilding. And so our main point, our main point is that even the miraculous spiritual gifts were meant to be understood so that God would be known. Even miraculous spiritual gifts were meant to be understood so that God would be known. Now we're going to think through this in three questions. And the order of these questions is... There's a lot going on in this text. There's a lot of of, uh, pieces and movement to the discussion. So we can't deal with all the details. So really what the progress of this sermon is going to be is getting a handle on the text... Bringing together the ideas and then applying it. So that's kind of the order and and purpose of each of our questions. So, first question. What are the major issues here? What are the major issues? So to take a step back so that we can properly push toward that pastoral aspect that we've already considered about how God wants to be known and this is indeed large in part the answer to the world's loneliness is that we've turned away from God. To get back to that, we need to get a handle on this text. And this discussion of prophecy in tongues from verses 1 to 25, really, although those those next five verses warrant their, their own attention, uh, there's a lot here. And so stretches of Scripture like this have one topic but are a bit unwieldy, and perhaps less less direct, less tidy in their details than other chapters. These can be tricky to understand and to preach, but to understand and follow. There's and rather than get into the details, I really just want to get a framework, a structure for this passage with some main points that I hope can give you a sense when you go back and read this later tonight later this week, sometime future, this will give you a handle for what's going on here. So, 
How can we get our hands on this lengthy passage? Verses 1 to 5 issue uh, introduces the issue at hand. Remember, remember all the way back, even to the beginning of this letter, that the heart problem in Corinth is that the Corinthian believers had been divided. The, the, right, the major issue throughout this letter is divisions in the church. And here, they've been divided because some were prioritizing human attention over affection. Attention over affection. Right? They, they were practicing spiritual gifts not to benefit others, which is God's main purpose for these gifts, but rather to add to their own prestige. Be the center of attention and increase their own personal experience. They had their own eyes on themselves rather than thinking about the people around them. In other words, some Christians in Corinth had made use of, made the use of spiritual gifts about themselves rather than, than about their sisters and brothers in the church. And that is why Paul used this first little section, verses 1 to 5, to reassert the need for love in the spiritual gifts. For, for spiritual gifts, love means, right, this, this is critical in understanding how these things work. Love means prioritizing how someone else benefits from your gifts rather than your own benefit in them. You don't have a gift, a spiritual gift, to contribute to your own life, but to be able to contribute to the people of God. So the first section there. Then in verses 6 to 17, Paul unpacked more thoroughly why. Why prophecy is superior to speaking in tongues. Namely because, namely because for a particular congregation, prophecy is intelligible. It can be understood. And he drove home in this section how the Christian emphasis needs to be on communicating well with others so that people are encouraged and built up. So this section is about why prophecy is superior. It can be understood and that makes it superior to speaking in tongues, which cannot be understood in a congregation that doesn't speak that language. Finally, in verses 18 to 19, Paul rounds off the point by stating his own practice. This is really a conclusion. The effect of his statement should be to show this congregation, which was poorly calibrated, to the true use of spiritual gifts, to show them how spiritually mature people think about using their gifts. Think about this issue like I am, is what he's saying. Paul wanted his way of thinking about using gifts to, for others' benefit to become their thinking. And so we see that the main issues here are a misperception 
misperception of the purpose of gifts and the entailing issue being that there's a need to rewire that understanding so that gifts are used for others and not for ourselves. There's a self-centeredness involved in this. And with that framework in place, we can, we can start to push into the significance of this text. Right? We've got a framework, and, and I really do hope that that's useful uh, for putting this together when you might go read this on another occasion. But our second question then is, what purpose do spiritual gifts serve? What purpose do spiritual gifts serve? Maybe it's looming large in your memory that the last time we were in 1 Corinthians, I argued that the gifts of prophecy and tongues were distinctly tied to the apostolic period. Now, if that claim is true, as I hope you, I might have convinced you is the case, then, well, then what significance does this passage have for us today? If these gifts aren't active anymore in, in Christ's church, what use is this section for us? Are Paul's words comment on an issue that was live and active in his day, but essentially irrelevant for Christians now? <coughs> well, you know the answer is going to be no. There is still much that we can take away from what we see here. So, throughout this discussion, Paul has emphasized the value of communicating to be understood. We have to underline that. Remember, from the last time we we looked at this in in our kind of preface to this long chapter on, on gifts, that prophecy is conveying a direct revelation from God. Right? It, it, a prophet receives a direct message from God and speaks it to the people. It's a, it's a revelation. It's not something you can know by any other means than God saying it. And then, speaking in tongues is the ability to speak in another human language that you've not learned to com- with the purpose of communicating the gospel. It's an evangelistic spiritual gift, right? So that you can speak the gospel to someone who's from a different place, who knows a different language than the one you know. And so then we see that as we think about those definitions, that both of these gifts make God known to people, but in different contexts. Prophecy is a direct revelation from God, right? So it's God being made known to his people. Speaking in tongues is making God known to people who speak a different language than you do. How how does this work out? Right? Prophecy made God known by revealing information people needed to walk with God. Tongues made God known by enabling a Christian to inform another person 
who did not speak the same language, about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. Both aim to further knowledge of God and his works. And the issue, the issue was that tongues were meant for communicating with someone who could not naturally understand it. There's not really a fitting illustration for our congregation, because the thing is, LCPC is a bit unusual in, in the fact there are members here who, in fact, speak lots of different languages natively, coming from different backgrounds from around the world, which is a beautiful thing, until you want to illustrate the point of this passage. Uh, but in the first century... And really, in most other places, most other congregations around the world, congregations tend to be filled with people who speak the same language, natively. In a, in a context like the mission field of, of the Roman Empire, someone traveling about, like the apostles were doing, could encounter people of many different languages, many different tongues. Right? We thought about Acts chapter 2. And how it contained a list of languages from around the whole Mediterranean area, which the apostles spoke by the Spirit's power in order to spread the gospel. And in cases like that, the Spirit enabled believers miraculously to speak a foreign language so that foreigners would hear about God so that they could know it. And on the other hand, though, right, so that's, that's how this gift of tongues is, is useful, was useful on, on the mission field in the first century and why the apostolic period needed it. This, this would have been in many ways a, a really difficult obstacle to overcome had it not been for the spiritual gift of tongues in that time. But on the other hand, if you were if you were to come to into a church that speaks essentially one language right congregations tend to gather and right the sermon the service is led in english if we assume that everybody just just spoke english here if you were to come into a context like that and speak a different language no one would understand you no one would understand what's being said because it was not being said in a language that they know. And that's why Paul says right here in verses 2 to 3, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So let's let's try to illustrate this a little bit. It, if I were to come and speak Russian in a congregation full of English speakers, well, only God would understand what I'm saying. Right? Paul Paul indicated that. This practice of, of speaking a different language than what anybody understands in, in church encourages nobody, since you need to understand the words to be encouraged, consoled, and built up by them, as verse 11 noted. 
And so Paul concluded in verses 18 and 19, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Right? Why was he glad to speak tongues? He was glad to speak tongues because he liked to evangelize. Right? Was Paul not the consummate evangelist? Taking the gospel to the nations? He wanted the gospel to be known. And so he's glad that he speaks in tongues as he goes about cultures and cities and needs to use this gift to reach those who speak different languages than he does. But, in that con- so whereas in that context, speaking in tongues makes God known to people because they can understand this foreign language that the Spirit enables you to speak. Right? But, but using tongues in church doesn't make God known. It conceals the gospel because it puts it in a language that no one in the room can understand. And that is why in church, you've got to underline in church there. I mean, at least mentally. If you underline in your Bible, go for it too. But at least mentally underline. That is why in church, Paul speaks words that can be understood by everyone. The contrast, right, and this this is a common mistake, I think. The contrast is not between the private use of tongues and church use of prophecy, but as if speak in tongues when you're by yourself and then don't in church. The contrast is between the evangelistic use of tongues out in the world to speak to people who know a different language, using that gift for unbelievers... And the use of prophecy in church, which, in which case churches are typically united in speaking the same language. So just like, and he illustrates it, right, with musical instruments. Just like we need to be able to discern the notes of an instrument for it to make sense as we process the, the song, the melody, We need to be able to discern the words a person is using for them to make sense. Right? If if notes sound like machine work, we're not moved by that. But if they sound like a symphony, they have their effect. Because we understand that. And that is why prophecy, which was intelligible to the hearers, was fit for the church. But but tongues, which made someone intelligible to a foreigner, an outsider from somewhere else, was fit for evangelism in a cosmopolitan area and empire. So, right, that's that's the answer to, to that question. We've, we've seen the major issues. We've seen... Uh, what what the significance of this discussion is, right? And it all drops towards God enables people with gifts to make himself known so that his people might draw near to him. And so we come to our last question. How do we apply this? How do we apply this? Why did we 
start with loneliness. Right? Typically, we have a light anecdote. But we started tonight with a loneliness just to shift gears into all this stuff about the proper context for using each miraculous gift that isn't even active now that we're out of the apostolic period. Why would, why did we start on that note then? Because the wrong use of gifts, the wrong use of gifts can promote and foster loneliness both in relation to God and to each other. In relation to one another, right? The wrong use of spiritual gifts separates believers. If spiritual gifts are used to increase our own prominence within the congregation, or if we claim that our particular spiritual gifts that we have make us stronger, more mature, or a more spiritual Christian, then we sideline other believers. If I'm better because of my gift, if I'm more spiritual because of the way God has gifted me, I just set aside everybody who's gifted differently. Put it, put them on a ladder to God's presence. Right? We've turned God's gifts for the sake of His church, meant to build up others, into a way to put a spotlight on ourselves. And so, Paul said in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. In other words, right, let's, let's put this in a different framework. The wrong use of spiritual gifts promotes elitism, elitism in the church. It elevates a few, if not one, above the rest as better or more than important. Even though prophecies and prophecy and tongues have have ceased, churches still find ways to do this. Even in churches where we recognize that fact, right? Typically, I mean, how do we do right relational politics? That's the big one. We we pull at issues to to put ourselves at the center of attention. It's got to be about me. I need to get my way. I need to have the insight. As soon as we introduce hierarchy, as soon as we introduce hierarchy in the church, ranking Christians, someone ends up lonely, feeling excluded. And that is exactly what Paul is taking on throughout this chapter. The wrong use... Right? I mean, I, we, we can, we can put this in application. I mean, pretty, pretty directly. I mean, we think about things we do here. Actually, are, are we serving 
for attention or because of our affection for other believers? Am I doing a task because I get noticed or because this helps God's people? Now, the likely answer for just about all of us is there's some sort of mixture on this one, right? And it's probably weighted. Most people want to help the church, and then when you get noticed, it's great. And there's a little bit of pull at that. But it's wise for us to check ourselves. Why do I like serving? Is it because I get noticed? Because it contributes. Now there's another question on that one too. Am I serving? <laughs> and if not, why? Is it because there's no attention atta- attached to the, to the opportunities where I could serve? Or is it even worse? That there's no affection. That I don't, it's not even that I, I want to serve only if I get attention, but I just, I can't be bothered to serve. Right? I think this takes us right into the depths of examining our hearts. And yet, it's not just about separating us from each other, although we see how, I mean, when we end up in that place where our hearts are that darkened, I don't want to help because I don't care. You see how that pulls us apart from one another. And yet it's, it's not just about splitting up believers. The wrong use of spiritual gifts also leaves us feeling lonely in relation to God. It divides believers and it leaves feeling isolated from God too. How? So when I was, um, it's probably a bad idea to tell personal stories, but when I was in high school, I, I will confess, I attended a charismatic church. Uh, and the clear assumption, though, the reason why that's worth sharing, the clear assumption in that context was those who were able to speak in tongues were the more spiritual. Right, if you, if you were able to do this, you know, the, the sort of, during the, the second round of, of singing, oddly for some reason that's always when it happened, but if you were able to do that, that was the clear mark that you were touched by God. And those were the people, exclusively really, people touched by God. And others, including myself, right? The effect is that everybody else is wondering if God has any place for them. Why, why has God given less attention to some believers who truly want to know Him? It's not that they're not trying, it's not that they're not striving after the Lord, it's just this supposed gifting has never been given to them. But the truth is, that God equipped his church in the first century with miraculous gifts precisely so that he would that so that they would know that he is he was with them right for, for them all of these things with 
if there's an effect of feeling like God isn't near to you, the gift isn't being used the right way within the church. Gifts were meant to make God known and give a sense of His nearness. Markedly, this, this true use of spiritual gifts, right, is, is supposed to help overcome those feelings of estrangement from our Maker. And the thing is, you know, regardless of the gifts we're talking about, the same remains true today with the gifts that everybody agrees that God still equips His church to use. Right, of course, I'm, ho- uh, I'm hoping that you're convinced, you know, with me that, that these miraculous gifts were, were tied specifically to the apostolic period and ended there. But regardless of which gifts are still active, the principle remains, the principle remains that every spiritual gift is meant to make God known and encountered among His people. And so the church's use of our gifts should make his presence known in our fellowship. And if somebody's feeling disconnected from God because of the way we use our gifts, it's not the right way. And so, assuming they're a Christian, right? And so we see, right, that that brings us full circle, that God wants you to know him and wants you to know his presence with you. Right? In a world plagued with loneliness, our God is the God who puts himself amongst his people. You, you think about every other way of thinking about religion, and what is it? Earn it. Meditate hard enough, think long enough, empty yourself enough, do enough things, you'll feel God. And our God has said, I've gifted my people so that when you're together, you just know there. When two or three are gathered in the name of Christ, I'm with you. The application for our practice, when we think about that issue, which is live and active more than you know, for our practice is that when we feel lonely, so we're talking about me, I feel lonely. Right? We've got to reach out to others and ask the church for help. They're there. Right? They, they have gifts that God uses to make Himself known to you. And you say, they don't, they don't want to do that. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't matter what they want to do. God says, I've gifted them so that I would be known to my people. God, when we feel estranged from God, we reach out to the church. And so, rather than, than lingering in our loneliness, right, Christian, reach out to others for encouragement. God has gifted them so that you would be built up. But then on the other side of that, right, as, as we think about our own gifts, We, we all have, right? At least one. I, yeah. There's always, I, I get this question a lot. Do you believe people have more than one spiritual gift? And I, I don't really, I don't see why not. That seems like a 
overly precise question. Uh, but we think about our own gifts, right? We, we have to seek not the spectacular, not what puts us on display, not what makes a show of ourselves, but what assures other believers that God is with them. That's what the use of spiritual gifts are for. Right? That, that is the driving force behind why God has gifted you and why you should be using your spiritual gifts. Because through his people, God makes himself known and puts himself amongst us. And what's the primary way that God has put himself amongst his people? In the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We know, we know that God wants us to know him because while we were sinners, God the Son came among us in our nature to provide forgiveness for our sin. God very literally and very directly put himself amongst us. Christ provides forgiveness in the gospel because, because God wants to be with you, believer. He does not want to be estranged from you. He does not want you to be estranged or to be lonely, but to bask in the joy of knowing his presence because indeed we were made to glorify and enjoy our God. Every need that we have to be near to God is met in the Lord Jesus Christ who has provided reconciliation, the gap that was infinite one which we could not cross. God the Son crossed it and dealt with everything that stood between us and being near to our God because, because our God wants to be near to you and wants you to know him. Christ is God who walked the earth to be with his people, who loved us and gave himself for us so that we would be with him, fully loved, fully known, in everlasting life. Let's pray. Father God, it is easy in passages like this to be caught on questions that we have of the text. What are these gifts? Are they still active? The fine details of parsing out arguments and God we know that if we get caught in being right, we do want to be accurate. We don't want to misrepresent you. But the Corinthians were plagued with divisions. And we don't want to be divided. We want to see the truth of these things so that you would be known among your people. Known well, known deeply, known truly and accurately, and yet in some known known to us, and that we might know you are near to us. And so we pray, God, that we would be assured of that now. Because of the gospel, because of what we know of the Lord Jesus, we see that Almighty God desires to be among his people because you have done so. 
The Almighty God has walked among His people in our nature. And our Lord Jesus Christ has died in our nature to provide reconciliation that we might never be estranged from you nor doubt your presence with us and that we might be saved into a church that we might have brothers and sisters and never be left alone. Not only in this age, but into eternity. And so we pray that as we think about our own gifts, as we think about the gifts that you have given to others, we might set our minds on how each of these things makes you present, makes you known in the midst of your church. And we pray you'd give us a deep-seated desire to use and practice our gifts so that your church would know that you are with us. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen.